Hey guys, today I'm excited. I have my friend and coach, Elizabeth Sabet. Um, this is my fourth in-person episode. I always really enjoy these. The more connection is just a different vibe than uh, over the computer, but so it's great. So I'm really excited. Um, I first was introduced to Elizabeth from my friend, Anna King, who I had on the podcast uh, a couple episodes back. And it was great to hear that Elizabeth was in town and was into a lot of things I'm into. And so, yeah, you want to introduce yourself, Elizabeth? Hi, Kendall. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be on your show. Yeah, so uh, my name is Elizabeth, and I work as a transformational, transpersonal coach, uh, specializing in spiritual integration coaching. And I've been doing this work in this lifetime for since uh, 2007. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, I've been taking her spiritual integration coaching class. Mm-hmm. Mouthful. Uh, it's been really great. Um, learned a lot. And uh, yeah, so I was just uh, today is wondering if Elizabeth could share her story and um, yeah, just get let the audience get to know her and um just what we can learn from from her life, just like anyone. <laughs> yeah, thanks. So, uh, the spiritual integration story is that what we're talking about today? Yeah. 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 So I have had um, different spiritual experiences my whole life, um, and from I don't know how old I was. It was probably pre-verbal as a toddler. I remember um, feeling people's energy. Mm. And when I was very young, I could literally see it. And then as I got older, I could only feel it. And uh, so when I think back about my life, and I think about when did all this weirdness start, (laughs) I think I just came in with it, Mm. actually. Mm -hmm. Um, um, But I've had past life experiences at the age of five and many, many different experiences growing up. And um, uh, when I was, um, I got married very young at the age of 18. I was 20 when I had my first child. And I really just wanted to be a normal human being and a really good mom. And at some point, I asked God to make all the weird stuff stop. Um, And in true to, you know, God is merciful, and all the weird stuff stopped. And my husband didn't like it either. It <laughs> freaked him out. And uh, so talking to dead people and being able to know what people's futures were, you know, the likelihood of what was going to be happening for people, um, and many other weird experiences, um, he did not like it. So, you know, I wanted my husband to be happy, and I wanted to be a good mom, so... God, let them stop. Um, But it always felt like something was missing and something wasn't quite right. And when my best friend from my childhood died, she committed suicide. Mm. Uh, We were both 29. And we played in the crib together. And we were closer than sisters. And so when she died, it was very traumatic, of course, and very painful. And her mother was actually my first spiritual teacher and taught me how to feel energy with my hands um, when I was nine. 
And uh, when I went home for the funeral, uh, you know, and I remembering I had put all of this away, mm. right? Uh, when I went home for the funeral, um, we were sitting at her kitchen table, and my friend's name is Devon. And her mother said, yeah, Devon walked in the door last night and, um, you know, told me that she was in a good place. And Devon wore blue jeans and T-shirts and tennis shoes. She was not a frou-frou girl. <laughs> um, but her mom said she walked in the door wearing a sparkly pink dress and said, Mom, look what they gave me. And I thought this poor woman has lost her mind <laughs> because Devon's dad died three months prior to her committing suicide. Hmm. So I thought, here's this poor woman, you know, she's lost her husband and now her daughter, her youngest child. She's just lost her mind. <laughs> and um, I mean, I really had put everything behind me. And... Uh, at the funeral, her uncle came up to me and had said, you know, you're going to have to stop grieving her uh, because it's going to affect her oh, wow. work on the other side. And so you're going to have to find her energy in spirit. You're going to have to find her in spirit. She's not gone. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I talk to dead people. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. And... um so I started tuning in to her and asking, uh, you know, for contact or awareness of her. She actually came to visit me just a few weeks before. she. We grew up in Minnesota, so she had come from Minnesota down to Texas to spend a week with me, and I didn't realize that she was saying goodbye. Hmm. And uh, <clears throat> my soul knew, because when I put her on the plane to go home I could not stop crying mm. and I told my girls oh I'm sorry mommy's crying I'm just sad you know that my friend is leaving but you know since we were little kids we said goodbye a hundred times right and and it was a different kind of cry you mm. know like I was grieving mm -hmm. so my soul knew in advance and knew what was happening, that communication was there. And I was devastated when I realized that because I thought if I could have known, and I think anybody who survives the suicide of somebody that they love, they go through that special kind of grief that if I would have known. Mm, you, you feel know, responsible in some way. Yeah, like I should have been tuned in. I should have not turned off this gift. I should have known that something was going on, that I cried that way. Um, and so once she was on the other side and we started having contact, I just knew, like, I couldn't let this part of me go. So it, yeah, I was 29. I mean, it started kind of coming in a little bit at 27, um, but I had started a meditation and breath work practice when I was 23. And I think I started going through a Kundalini awakening, mm. you know, an unsupported and unprepared for Kundalini like awakening me. when I was 27, <laughs> just like you. Yeah. 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 Uh, so much there. Um, it seems to me from listening and reading about people's experience, people that, um, are spiritually connected when they're young, often go through the same type of um, journey that you did that 
that it's it's hard um, to to have that and have that be plugged in and turned on when you're young and deal with all that. And so a lot of them ask, please turn it off. And then maybe later in their life, they'll, they'll come back to it. Yes. Whereas I feel like the opposite. I was like, let me be plugged in. And uh, <laughs> and I had little glimpses here and there, but it wasn't to my awakening to where that was turned on more. And I'm like, how could people want to turn it off? <laughs> but I didn't have it turned on like that when I was young. So it yeah. wasn't the same experience. Yeah. What's funny is um, when, it tur- when it came back on, it came back on very loud and clear. <laughs> And um, at the time, I owned two preschools, and they were open concept, right? So uh, they were very noisy, which really didn't bother me because it was kids, you Mm -hmm. know. How can that kind of noise never bothered me? Uh But I had an employee that I had to reprimand, and uh, and uh, I took the work very seriously, you know, caring for other people's children, and so. The staff was very well-trained about expectations and all those things. And when they didn't, and when I saw something that was inappropriate, you know, it didn't go unnoticed Mm -hmm. or untaken care of, not taken care of. And um, I had brought her to the office and um, had a little chat with her. And she said, I think you're overreacting. And I said, I don't think I am. I said, "Um, from from the perspective of a mother, I don't think I'm overreacting. Right. Mm. You're not a mom. So when you are, I bet you will agree with me. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> so when I went to do my rounds that afternoon mm-hmm. in the classroom, in in her head, she called me the B word. Mm. And I turned around and I said, did somebody call me the B word? And she was like, oh, no, no, I didn't hear anything. And I said, mm-hmm. And, and, and my staff knew, right? Like my staff knew like, they couldn't get past anything. Mm. Knew that you were plugged in. <laughs> yeah, they, most of them knew I was pretty plugged in. Mm. And um, uh, yeah, so after that, I walked out of the classroom. I was like, I just need you to turn the volume down. <laughs> just a little. I don't mm. want it off now. But mm. like, that's when I told God, I only want to know what's mine to know. Mm. I don't want to, like, I don't need to know that she called me the B word because mm. I really don't care. <laughs> she can go work someplace else, right? <laughs> But, um, yeah, so I think people don't realize that you can ask for the volume to be turned Mm. down and that Mm -hmm. you can regulate it, Mm -hmm. you know, when it just arises either naturally or however it arises. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, uh, doing a heart meditation and, and, and crying and feeling like there was some release there and some energy. And then, I went to my work shift and my coworker came in with a lot of anxiety and it was like so much and I could feel it so strongly. I was like, whoa, I didn't, now I've opened this and now I can feel it so strongly. And so it took me a little bit to adjust and like you said, probably shut that valve a little bit. Um, Yeah, but kids are so amazing. mm -hmm. I love that you brought up the kids, children's part because we don't talk about children's experiences enough Mm -hmm. there's not a whole lot of research done on it um there's a really great book called the secret spiritual life of children by dr tobin hart um if anybody's interested in that it's a great resource and uh but children the majority of children come in naturally open Mm. You know, at any given time, I had an average of 180 children in my daycare facilities. And I 
can tell you story after story after story of children seeing things in the room, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. infants like pointing right. and smiling, mm-hmm. right? Um, children having past life memories, um, children that knew that they didn't want to be here and it wasn't the daycare that they didn't want to be at. Mm. And mm-hmm. we're having a hard time adjusting to the earth. Mm. So kids are so open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess we just pass it up to, you know, kids' imaginary fa- friends and their imagination and them being kids. And then we're like, okay, you need to grow up. And so we kind of discourage them out of that. And so shuts off their spiritual abilities, would you say? That's absolutely right. You know, my husband promised me that I wouldn't make our children weird. <laughs> <laughs> and and I and I promised him that I wouldn't. Um but uh when my I forgot how old my youngest my oldest daughter was, she was so intuitive. I mean, absolutely intuitive. She asked me how to draw a volcano. And I said, honey, you just draw it the way you think you should draw it. There's no wrong way Mm -hmm. to draw a volcano. And I had a picture in my head of how it could be Mm -hmm. drawn. And she drew it exactly that way. One day I was standing in the kitchen. I was looking for the cookie sheet. And I thought that I'd put it someplace. And I was just standing there thinking, where did I put my cookie sheet? And she said, oh, mommy, it's in that cabinet right there. And sure enough, it was. <laughs> and I didn't say anything out loud. Mm-hmm. She just read my mind. Wow. Yeah, I wonder sometimes, you know, uh, like the family, like one person singing a song, and then and then I'll sing a part of the song. And I'll be like, who started that? Or, or, or did I have that song in my head? And then they started <laughs> singing it? Or did I hear them first? And did I sing it from them? Or, <laughs> yeah, that's a... Yeah. We're so connected. Right. Uh, so how did, when you're young, was your family religious? How did that, um, how did that interact with your experiences? Well, I was raised Catholic. Uh, my grandmother was very Catholic. My mom had a grudge against the Catholic church. So when we didn't live in the same town as our grandparents, we didn't go to church most of the time. Um, but I, I spent a lot of time in Catholic church and as a child, I just never talked about these experiences. Mm. The only experience I ever talked about, and it, I humiliated my mother, I was five. I remember the moment um, exactly. We were standing in the kitchen and a man walked in and I ran behind my mom and grabbed her leg. And they call me Betsy. My family calls me Betsy. That's my family nickname. And she said, Betsy, what are you doing? And I said, that man has a bad buzz. And she got so embarrassed. And she said, honey, people don't buzz. <laughs> and I said, yes, they do. And he has a bad one. And he was not a good person. And um, caused a lot of harm in mm. the family. And uh, so, you know, like you said, they just take it as the child has a great imagination or whatever, right? Um, I think that if there's a parent listening to this, that what's really important to remember is that your child stays, your child's brain stays in the theta state from in utero when the brain starts developing all the way through the age of seven. So the brain is constantly recording 
constantly recording the the mind the brain is very open and it's not in the way of rationalizing anything the way an adult would hmm. so it's constantly absorbing information even when a child is sleeping the it's still hearing the brain is still imprinting what it's hearing so if the parents are fighting and they think oh the kids can't hear them because they're asleep think again because brain research shows that that is absolutely not true the brain is recording what it hears so uh, just the consciousness they're not conscious of it mm. you know but the subconscious is getting imprinted with it so when a child says something, I think we need to pay attention and at least ask them, you know, that respectful curiosity. Mm -hmm. um, but so I never shared anything again after that. Um, Why didn't you share? I'm just curious. Oh, golly, I'm thinking about some experiences, especially my past life. I did too tell my mom one thing, um, but again, it was chalked up to... Mm -hmm. you know, an imaginative child mm -hmm. kind of a thing. Um, and I'm just kind of going through the Rolodex mm -hmm. of experiences yeah. in my mind here. Um, uh, you know, after somebody doesn't listen to you for so long, right. you just quit sharing with right. them. Mm -hmm. um, but by the time I was 13, um, I was introduced to tarot cards, you know, which is a horrible, terrible thing, mm, you know. That's the devil. It's the devil. And, you know, and, and, you know, I have to say, um, there, there is a slippery slope in a lot of things and we do have to be careful, right. you know? Um, but, um, it, the ability to be able to tune into somebody and to see what was likely going to happen, I think was innate within me. Mm. And when my husband threw my cards away at 18, <laughs> I freaked out, but I realized, oh, I don't even, I don't need those cards. Hmm. You know, that's just a natural mm -hmm. ability. Mm -hmm. um, but, I, and I got caught with the cards and was told, you know, you better stop that. <laughs> You're going to go to hell. Mm -hmm. um, I did not stop that. It's <laughs> 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 not Rebel. compliant. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I think that, you just, at, you know, why keep telling if mm -hmm, nobody's right. listening? Mm -hmm. Did you have other, like, peers that were connected? Or were you, did you feel alone? How did that affect you? Yeah. Um, my sister and I slept in the same bed. And it was one of those beds... You know, I grew up in the 70s and the early 80s. And it was one of those beds that had like a headboard attached to it. And there was this spirit that kept... The first time I talked to somebody on the other side, I was 13. Um, but I was alone when that happened. And it was the spirit of my stepfather's first child who was killed in a car accident mm -hmm. when she was an infant. So his first wife and child were killed in a car accident. But I did not know that. None of us kids knew that. And um, uh, she came to me and telepathically told me to tell him to quit grieving mm. because she was happy and mm. she was in a good place. And uh, when I went to tell him, he sobbed. It was, only the, it was the first time at, the, at that point in my life that I'd ever seen him cry. 
And she was wearing what she had been wearing the day of the accident when she came to talk to me. Mm. Uh Um, And so that was received well. um, But it was a very scary experience. Very scary. I felt completely paralyzed in my body. Um, It felt like, I don't know if it was true, but it almost felt like my eyes rolled to the back of my head. Mm -hmm. Um, I went... um, and then everything went white, and I, every, I just all I could see was white. And then I saw this baby kind of coming through the picture, almost like I was looking through a sheer curtain, hmm. a white sheer curtain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after that, I had several uh, experiences of spirits wanting to come and talk to me, but I was so terrified mm-hmm. I would just push him away, and the bed would shake. You know, kind yeah. of like the exorcist. So and basically, the the experiences are scary. They they, they those what, were well. I guess how I'm try, what I'm trying to say is like, what, is it scary because of the images or the way they feel or what? Well, it's a whole different vibration than what you're used to. Mm. You know, you have your normal waking consciousness mm-hmm. and you're used to experiencing the energy around you. And people don't realize they experience energy. Mm-hmm. They do all the time. Mm-hmm. Because the moment that it changes... is like, the oh, moment it's that something they, different. Yeah, uh-huh. they say, oh, it's something different. So it was so, um, so different and it came so fast. And remember, I had no teacher, right? Like, right. Was, you you're know, alone in this. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And nobody that I could talk to that would listen, mm-hmm. right? So when I rejected it, you know, my body would just shake. Mm. And um, there was one spirit in particular that, um, and he kept telling me, and I wondered, you know, like, was this my grandfather? I couldn't tell. Um, but it, he kept trying to tell me, I'm not going to hurt you. Don't be afraid. But I was like, oh, heck no. <laughs> you stay back Mm -hmm. there and eventually they quit trying Mm -hmm. to come in Mm -hmm. um uh until my friend Devon was on the other side and then Mm -hmm. the door was open and Mm -hmm. yeah so there's a podcast i listened to for a while about this lady who grew up christian and she grew up hearing spirits and because of her upbringing she thought she was kind of i guess evil or not not technically possessed but there was something wrong with her because she's hearing these things. Mm-hmm. So did your Catholic upbringing um, create tension with what your actual experience of, of of the spirit world? You know, I don't know that it was my Catholic upbringing. I think it was more the experience itself. Mm-hmm. I'd had so many other nonlinear, non-ordinary experiences through childhood. Um, it was just that that time where you're not in control because mm-hmm. it's like you're you're not in control mm-hmm. i wasn't in control because mm-hmm. i had nobody teach me how to control mm-hmm. it right um and for there to be such a frequency shift and such a strong vibration being very energy sensitive right uh that scared me mm. right so can you just imagine like somebody just walks in your front door and says hey how are you doing i want to talk to you and you're like <laughs> 
dude, who are you and what do you want? Please leave my house. Right. So kind so, of I locked the door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please ring the doorbell. Yeah. So I think it was more that factor, mm-hmm. that surprise factor. Mm. You know, but what are they supposed to do? Like they can't ring your doorbell, right? right? So, yeah. So I'm just curious, you know, because I wasn't like this when I was young. What, why do, why do some kids get these experiences and some don't? It's a good question. So I had no trauma in my life when the, when the um, uh, energy sensitivities and being able to see and feel and mm-hmm. understand what those energies meant around people. Um, there was no trauma in my life. And because I'm 99% sure it was pre-verbal being a toddler, mm. um, that it's just something that I was born with. Mm. Um, and there's also... Um, the belief and well mm-hmm. there's a theory too mm. that the trauma what trauma does is it loosens your consciousness from your body mm. so like it can be called dissociation we call right. that dissociation in mm-hmm. psychological terms mm-hmm. but um the the benefit of it actually is that you do get to experience yourself without your body, Mm -hmm. right? And you do have an expanded reality and awareness. Mm. Um, So that's one of the, I don't want to say there's a benefit to trauma, but Mm. if trauma does cause you to have your consciousness loosened from your body, like an out-of-body experience Mm -hmm. or a near-death experience where Mm -hmm. you are removed from your body, is that now you have a vantage point of life differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you ever struggle with the idea or feeling like, you know, that that some like materialists would say, hey, you're experiencing trauma, so you're making up this imaginative thing to deal with it, to cope? Yeah, that didn't come, that thought and idea didn't come to me um, until much later in life. Um, You know, I was worried, what if I really am crazy? (laughs) And, um, oh my God, uh, darn, that would be horrible, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then getting in touch with uh, the, the people that have researched these experiences mm-hmm. and worked with them, recognize it really doesn't matter if they're quote unquote real or if they were created by trauma. Mm-hmm. The question is: Is are they helpful or are right. they not helpful? They're they're an experience you had or have, and mm-hmm. so you have to account for that. You have to. What am I going to do with this? Whether or not it's real or not. That's right. Disrespecting it, dismissing it, disregarding it because it happened because of trauma is not helpful. Mm. And um, because it happened because of trauma doesn't make it not real, mm. especially to the experiencer. Right. Yeah. Because many of these experiences, they we say, are more real than this mm-hmm. reality here. Right. And that's what my Kundalini Awakening was like. It felt more real. And for years, I tried to just move on, but <laughs> it wasn't really helpful. It was helpful once I confronted it and like, what, what does this mean to me? What mm-hmm. What's going on? And like you said, finding research and finding other people that had similar experiences was very cathartic and helpful and helped me make meaning and understand it. Yeah, absolutely. And when we can 
discover what the meaning of that was, that experience has for us and, and how that can help us, then does it really matter? Mm-hmm. You know, the question is, is how functional is someone and do they have any insight about that experience <clears throat> as to whether it's dangerous or not? Mm. Right. I think some people would say it's one thing to have experiences and, and, and work that work through that, but I guess are some people would say, are you encouraging these experiences to continue? Are you pursuing them mm-hmm. and um, increasing the, the, the delusion and, and getting lost in that? Yeah, there, you know, there's that fear. And then there's the, the concern that you're seeking the experiences and not getting the wisdom from it, mm, like being right. addicted to the experiences, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the question of delusion is is a really sticky one for a lot of people. <laughs> um, not for me. Um, my question is, is how functional is someone? Mm-hmm. And, um, and how is this benefiting them? And if they're not functional because of it, do they have insight around it, right? So if they have insight that this is not the normal, typical 3D experience, mm-hmm. then there is a great potential benefit for that experience to be transformational, to it bring it's telling the soil of the soul in some way. It's bringing something up to be mm. recognized and mm-hmm. to be worked through, right. and um, to pathologize it at that point is to pathologize humanity itself. Mm. These experiences are so much more common than people realize, right? And they. You know, the majority of them don't happen because of trauma. They happen for all sorts of reasons. Mm-hmm. And often for absolutely no reason at all, they are spontaneous. Mm-hmm. And so um, what I call is like the ripeness of the soul, whether it's a child who maintains it, right? Somehow the soul has had learning or inexperience that made it ripe to have this experience whether it was caused by trauma. And when I, I want to uh, clarify something here. When I say caused by trauma, I do not uh, dismiss it as not real, mm-hmm. right? Because all sorts of people get sick or go through childbirth or have accidents and have near-death experiences, right? Near-death experiences are considered more valid mm. in, even in the spiritual community than many other experiences, because we all die, so <laughs> we, everybody dies. Right. There's not a lot of money for research about these things, um, but near-death experiences um, has been researched more than anything else. And that's changing, though, too. Mm. Yeah. Right. So I think it's very important to not dismiss, disregard, or disrespect somebody's experience, however it arose or whatever precipitated mm. it, and to not go into the delusional phase. Now, um, there are many uh, famous people who have gone through a religious psychosis, believing that they're Christ or they're mm-hmm. Buddha, mm-hmm. or you know that there are some other religious figure. Um, and it was a very important time of their life. And some of them are psychiatrists, and um, that have changed the way we talk about this in in the field of psychiatry and psychology, and. Um, 
when somebody becomes non-functional because of their experience, they need to be in a special kind of, have special kind of support. Mm. And I believe, I don't, I am not anti-medication for these things. Not at all. Um, but I'm not medication first, unless they are um, harming themselves or somebody else, or if they want the medication to help the process slow down to where they can be present with it and work with it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's all great. I'm I'm right there with you. Um, sorry, I know I can kind of <laughs> go off in all these different tangents. No, I, I pretty I'm much uh, prompted you, but that's all good stuff to, to bring up. Um, so I'm curious about your marriage and, and you're saying, you know, your husband was like, oh, I don't know about this. How did you come to marry someone who wasn't open to these things that... I was young and in love. <laughs> <laughs> that explains it. <laughs> and used to, and used to, um, uh, that part of me in my experience mm. not being important or validated. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was used to people being freaked out. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Wow. It didn't invalidate. Mm. Yeah. The relationship. Mm. I guess. Yeah. I think about, you know, my own experience, um, it, when I started validating it for myself, mm -hmm. then I was like, it would be so nice to have other people. <laughs> and when I, that started happening, I started talking to other people who had similar experiences. Like, this is so nice and this is also important. And so then it became, um, now I'm like, I don't want to marry someone who isn't going to validate, but I guess you do have to get to that point where you can have that self-love and, and validate the experience for yourself. Absolutely. It's very important. But it, you're right. It's very hard to do without external validation, especially when it's super weird uh, and challenging and sometimes scary. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do. We all need validation and support we need community um it takes a really strong person to be able to do that for themselves mm -hmm. you know? and i think there is you can get to that point but that probably comes after yes. the point of needing some external validation yes as well. absolutely yeah so i think at first i could have some shame be like oh why do i need other people to validate me but i'm like no this is part of the journey this is the steps and yeah We'll get there, but we're not there yet. Right. And it's a normal human need to be validated. Mm -hmm. So, let's see. Okay, so you 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 got away from the spiritual. You're like, okay, shut that down. Mm -hmm. And then because of your friend and that connection, mm -hmm. that's what opened you up back to it. You're like, I don't want to lose this connection. That's so right. I'm going to stay open. Yeah. I just had to accept this is who I am. And um, I picked up the tarot cards again and I started doing readings for people. Um, just word of mouth, of course. Where were you uh, living at that time? Here, here in, in Lubbock. Lubbock. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In good old Lubbock, Texas. Right. <laughs> but I was going to Unity Church, not Unitarian. They're often confused. Um, but uh, people were very open to it there. 
um, they, the Unity Church interprets the Bible metaphysically. Mm. So they are still, uh, you know, believe in Jesus, mm-hmm. but teach it from a metaphysical standpoint. And so there are a lot more open-minded people there, open to other things. Um, uh, my husband was Muslim, and uh, I had gone to a pretty famous church here, and this lady asked me why my husband wasn't with me, and I told her, I said, oh, he's Muslim. And <laughs> she, In front of my children, she said, and she was just a dear, she mm. was a sweet elderly lady, and she was very sincere in her caring, and she said, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. It must be so hard for you to know that your husband's going to hell. Mm. And I was like, uh, in front of my children, I cannot believe you just said mm. that. And um, uh, I just... I, I don't even remember what I said to her, but I pulled my children away and we left and I told the kids, your daddy is not going to hell because he's Muslim. I said, don't listen to her. That lady doesn't know what she's talking about. Mm. She's a nice lady, but she just doesn't know everything. And because um, you should have seen my kids' faces, you know, what a thing to say. Mm. So uni- I started looking for a different church, somebody that could just accept that I was married to a Muslim and not tell my kids something like that. And uh, I found Unity Church, and it was a rather smaller church, you know, maybe 40, 50 people on Mm -hmm. Sunday service. And uh, they asked the visitors to stand up and just, you know, tell them a little bit about who you are. And I told them, I said, my husband's Muslim. I'm looking for a church that would accept us as, you know, Mm. a, a blended spiritually blended (laughs) family and they clapped and (laughs) said that he was welcome at any time and they would never try to convert him Mm. and i was like oh okay i'm still we're gonna try this out here (laughs) yeah and uh i just yeah i really enjoyed that church Mm. Mm -hmm. so um yeah you know it's it it was definitely a challenge Mm -hmm. and so how was it you know, raising your kids, and I know your husband said, "Don't make them weird yeah. with his beliefs and your beliefs." Yeah, I, I, I definitely went back on that promise because, <laughs> um, so my, there's seven years between my children, and when I started honoring and respecting my gifting, mm. um, I didn't teach the kids anything per se mm-hmm. until. Uh, my youngest daughter came, we were praying and holding hands and praying and her hands got hot mm. and I knew that she was a healer wow. and uh, well, that she had healing energy mm-hmm. flowing through her and that was one of her gifts. Let me rephrase that. And, um, and I was like, man, I can't do this. Mm. Like, can't stifle that. No, my yeah. oldest one is so intuitive and sensitive and, uh, I just ignored it and didn't, you know, teach her anything, how to manage that. And now this one is, you know, got healing power in her hands. Good night. Like, what am I doing? Mm. And so all bets were off. So I taught my youngest how to channel that healing energy. And I let her practice on people that wouldn't take her energy away. And uh, my oldest daughter had gotten her ears pierced and her ears were hurting and so in the living room that night I told my youngest I said come on you're gonna help take this pain out of your sister's ears and my husband was just sitting on the couch <laughs> rolling his eyes like oh my god here we go now and um 
But uh, I forgot to tell her to make her arm a hollow tube, Mm -hmm. you know, not to let that stick to her. Like she doesn't have to feel it, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And she was like, oh, oh, mommy, it's stuck. It's stuck in my arm. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm such a bad teacher. (laughs) I said, no, honey, this is how you do it. Let it go. Mm -hmm. So at that point, and then, you know, my oldest was like, oh my God, it's really gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to clarify, he, sorry, yeah, yeah. The, there's a healing where you can take the pain yourself, but there's also, you can just send yeah, healing you, without taking on. Yeah. The you don't have to take it on. Yeah. Yeah. It. It's, it's unnecessary um, because it's not you doing the work anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. So after that, um, he was definitely more open and because mm. he saw the results he saw the results mm. and it wasn't me it was a five-year-old child <laughs> Can't deny helping the, the a 12-year-old kids. child you know uh. that were not liars <laughs> or <laughs> right. exaggerators yeah mm-hmm. so um yeah so i think you know that really changed things mm-hmm. for him it, you didn't introduce him to rumi or hafiz the the the, the mystical side of, of the uh, mystical side of yeah. islam yeah yeah, yeah. Actually, um, he had gone back to Iran and was climbing, going up to some ancient ruins mm. um, and uh, up uh, in a mount uh, in a mountain area, and uh, he ran into some Sufis oh, wow. that the leader was in hiding because the government was trying to find mm-hmm. him to kill him, you wow. know, um, because they don't they don't like that there, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, uh, Anyway, so he met these group of Sufis and they were talking on the side of the mountain and he, they started talking to him and he said, oh my God, you're just like my wife. So he comes back and he tells me this story, you're just like my wife. And they said, your wife, how does your wife know this stuff? Mm. And so he started telling them about me. He's, they were like, oh my God, an American woman knows this stuff? <laughs> thought they were all infidels. <laughs> <laughs> no, Sufis aren't like that. You're right, right. Yeah, yeah, just the hardliners. Right. Regular Muslims aren't like that, yeah. but yeah. Regular Muslims and, and Sufis, they're not like that. Mm-hmm. But hardliners, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. And um, so they told him that if he followed his wife, that everything would be okay. Wow. If he didn't follow his mm. wife and listen to his wife, <laughs> the things would not be okay. And it's hard for a man to swallow. It's hard for a man to swallow, <laughs> yeah, you know. And um uh but yeah, so interesting. Yeah, wow. So I know that um you were whatever you want to call it, a follower of David Hawkins. How did where did that come in? Mm. Um Sunday school at Unity Church, actually, adult Sunday school. Um, one of the uh, young men who had been a student, who was a student of Hawkins, brought in Hawkins material. And we did it. We would read a different book. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we would read books in adult Sunday school mm-hmm. and go over those books. Did you read Edgar Casey? I have not, but oh. I know. That was one of mine. Many of the ladies mm-hmm. there had read Edgar mm-hmm. Casey, but mm-hmm. that. They weren't on Edgar Casey okay. when I got there, but yes, sidebar. But yeah, 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 yeah good sidebar. Um, and uh, anyway, I had been gone for a long time and not doing really well, and I decided to go to adult Sunday school and see what was up. And here's this young man showing a VHS tape of 
Dr. Hawkins, mm-hmm. instead of reading a book, they were going to watch. What is VHS? I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you know, kind of like an old 8-track, but for videos. <laughs> I'm not that young. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. <laughs> and um, I watched it. I listened to him talk for 15 minutes. And, and my heart just opened and leapt. My heart leapt in my chest. And I knew that if I would listen to this man, I would be okay. Mm. I would be okay. And so I just started listening to his tapes. And, and then a year later, started going to lectures. Amazing. I do believe he saved me. Mm. Do you want to uh, talk a little bit about him for people who don't know who he is? Sure. Dr. David R. Hawkins was a clinical psychiatrist and had the largest practice, psychiatric practice in New York City, uh, I think in the 70s. And uh, I'm not quite sure how long. But um, he became a consciousness researcher after he left medicine. And... uh, yeah, he he had several enlightenment experiences and sold his house uh, on Long Island and his apartment in New York and bought a set of uh, tools in an old truck and went to Sedona and uh, was kind of a hermit for a while. And uh, his, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? His uh, research assistant went to Sedona to find him and encouraged him to start writing. Mm. And uh, he wrote Power Versus Force was the first book that he had published. And when I read Power Versus Force, it made all the sense in the world. I actually have a very analytical mind, Mm -hmm. and I want to understand, and I asked myself my whole life, how is it possible that, I can look at a person and know what's going on mm, inside them. Right. What's how, the science? Yeah. Yeah. How? What is making this happen? Mm-hmm. It's why I was so fascinated with brain research. It's mm. like I've got to understand yeah, this, yeah. you know? I think that's a rare thing. As I, Someone that is so in tune with the experience but also wants to know why. I feel like a lot of times it's one or the other. Right. I, I really wanted to be a scientist as a, as a young person. That's what I always got for Christmas. I always wanted science kits <laughs> when I was a kid. Um, yeah, I always wanted to understand why. Like, how is this possible? Mm-hmm. Why is this happening? Um, but yeah, so I forgot. I think I lost my place. Uh, David Hawkins. Oh, Hawkins, yeah. Hawkins, yeah. <laughs> so I liked Hawkins a lot. Some people really don't like him because he's uh, he uses a lot of big words and a lot right. of language. He's and also intellectual, analytical. And intellectual, mm-hmm. analytical. How dare a spiritual teacher be like that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> How dare they? That's right. Um, but he was trying to explain the enlightenment and enlightenment process um, through a psychological model. And mm-hmm. also uh, he had learned kinesiology mm-hmm. from its originator and realized that he could use kinesiology to find the truth, to see what, if things mm-hmm. are true or not mm-hmm. true. Muscle testing. Yeah, muscle yeah. testing, yeah. And so um, he started applying muscle testing to consciousness research. So, you know, 
there's a lot of skeptics about muscle mm-hmm. testing and um, uh, his method and all of that. But for me, uh, his teachings really helped me understand the lowest of my lows mm-hmm. and the highest of my highs. Mm-hmm. And he was the first person that talked about spiritual emergency mm. that I listened to. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, even though it kind of went over my head at that time mm-hmm. because I was so in it. Right. And you hadn't experienced a spiritual emergency yet at that time, right? No, I, I feel like I was in spiritual and psychological emergency oh, okay. um, at the end of my marriage. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, yeah. Is that, no, is that sorry? It, yeah. Is that the same thing as your Kundalini awakening, or is that? Yeah. Different? So I feel like my Kundalini awakening maybe started in my late twenties, okay. and um, you know, as a young mother, I had a lot of incentive to work through it and be with whatever was arising, mm. and just kind of go with it and let it happen because I had breakfast to cook and a business to run and supper to cook and kids to raise and you know Mm -hmm. um i had a life to live and i couldn't be falling apart every time the kundalini started rising (laughs) right um uh so hawkins Mm -hmm. really explains he he uses the analytical mind to break down the mind which Mm -hmm. is advaita or advaita right people pronounce and that's one reason why i appreciate him more than a lot of uh, oneness or non-dual teachers kind of run me the wrong way because I feel like they're missing that bridge from the dualistic to the non-dual. Mm-hmm. And I think he covers that really well. I think so too. And uh, my favorite, well, I've got several favorites of, of his books, but Transcending the Level, after Power, for you know, I tell everybody, read Power versus Force versus Force first. Oops. And then, <laughs> yeah, oops. And then go to transcending the levels of consciousness because you will understand the dynamics of each emotional mm-hmm. process mm-hmm. and how how we shift out of or what brings us down into it uh, in emergency state or how we rise out of it. But also, um, when he gets to the states of consciousness of spiritual love and above, I don't think I've ever read such a great description of what it is, what the pitfalls are, wh- how what to be careful of and focus on, mm-hmm. and how you transcend it, right? Not that you can transcend it mm-hmm. in one lifetime, mm-hmm. but at least you know where you're going. There's a map of where you're going right. or where you are, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I find it really interesting because, um, so, so I keep, he he grew up in the Christian tradition, right? And yeah, he stayed in that Christian tradition. Mm-hmm. But I know he's uh, New Age is really big on his levels of consciousness and his teaching. I I think what you hit on earlier that he brought in the analytical and the science. I think maybe that's one reason why he connects so well because I think a lot of New Age people that's what they're tr- they're trying to do. They're trying to connect that spirituality and that science, and so he's a good. Um, model of that yeah yeah he tried right yeah yeah i mean it's still a work in progress yeah (laughs) yeah we're still figuring that out yeah they're still figuring it out i mean he tried Mm -hmm. and um there were things that he didn't even realize about 
his calibrations mm-hmm. that have been proven in different ways. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, so do you, and you don't have to get into this if you don't want to, but do you think that um, your spirituality and, and your children's, did that have something to do with your falling out with your husband and the divorce? Um, part of it. I mean, you know, I was pretty emotionally mature. <laughs> <laughs> He's a really great person. And, um, and you got married at 18, so that's I got that's married tough. at 18. <laughs> and, um, you know, you become somebody different. Right. And I mean, a lot of people who have, you know, awakenings, they're drastically changed and yes. or near death experiences, whatever. And that, that's a lot of times too much to get over and breaks apart a lot of marriages. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, and I did have some childhood trauma later on in my childhood and that I never talked about nor had any therapy for until I was 27 when I went to therapy. And um, I, I don't feel like I really became an adult until I went through a year of therapy. Mm. And... And then the changes really started happening. And then they really started happening at 29 when Mm -hmm. the other side was opened back up Mm -hmm. and the flow of spirit was Mm -hmm. flowing through me, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, that way again. And um, yeah, there was always something more, something more within me that wanted to be expressed Mm. um, that I found some satisfaction in I was the youth ed director at Unity Church for a while. And I found a lot of uh, joy and satisfaction in that. And um, he did not like who I was becoming because of, even though he liked Unity Church mm-hmm. um, and thought that Unity Church was a great way to, you know, be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um because they weren't telling anybody they were going to hell (laughs) (laughs) for the first word. Um, uh, But he also didn't like that. uh, I remember the pastor was going to be out of town and he wanted me to do the service. And uh, my husband was very unhappy about that. He's like, I didn't marry a minister. (laughs) And Mm. you know, he's right. You know, I was a different person. And Mm. that different person didn't have a place to uh, express and there were other things that were wanting to come through Mm. that even I couldn't language at that Mm. time Um, I wanted I'm a very social person by nature and I need community I love community Um, my family wasn't in town and his family wasn't in town Mm. and uh, and you know I love the Iranian culture I love the Iranian people I really, really do. I miss being a part of that culture. Uh, we were married for 21 years, so I kind of grew up in that mm. culture. And I I really, really love the closeness of the family and how important it is. Mm. And at the same time, I needed something more right. than the family mm-hmm. as well, that there was that expression that was being needed. And so I think that was a big clash as well, mm-hmm. you know, that eventually I just couldn't do it anymore. Right. Yeah. You had to cut off a part of yourself right but i realized how out of integrity i had been Mm. in some of the ways that i was coping with it and Mm. when i'd listened to hawkins that 15 minutes i was like i am so out of integrity being in this marriage 
and I have to, whatever I do in my life, I have to, I have to have integrity, mm-hmm. and I don't have integrity in this marriage, and I can't find integrity in this marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So he refused marriage therapy. Um, so I went on my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, as much as I know, I'm in agreement with that. I think that, you know, a lot of Christians are like, you know, you're married and you're married till you, you die. But I mean, definitely abuse. We can say that at the very least. Yeah. But I also think too, if, if it's, I've never, it's hard to put in correct words, or, but but if, if it's really holding you back from growth and you're, it's unhealthy um, and, you know, you try what you can do to make it better, I, I don't, I think that's the best thing to do. Yeah. I, I still regret it to this day, to be quite honest yeah. with you. Yeah. Yeah. He's a great person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's a wonderful person. But, um, you know, again, when you're in an emergency state, you don't always make the best decisions. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, at that time, I didn't have the language to really describe. Right. I didn't know anybody that really understood. Mm-hmm. I still didn't understand mm-hmm. what was happening to me, mm. that I was opening up to other dimensions and mm-hmm. other realities. And So and did that higher... feel different than when you were a kid? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, those were just experiences when I was a kid. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I would say that the more expanded states of consciousness really happened after the divorce because I wasn't running our business anymore. Mm-hmm. So I could sit and meditate for an hour, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or it, as it turned out, I ended up meditating from one to four hours nonstop every day sitting in deep meditation Mm -hmm. Um, where before, you know, I have my, I'm running my household and my business and my kids and Mm -hmm. my oldest daughter had already left the house. She was 20 living Mm -hmm. on her own. And um, our youngest daughter was still at home, but yeah. So I was able to meditate more. So my experience um, while I was married was less, even though I was having, uh, nonlinear experiences, they weren't what they were while I was in, in meditation that long. Mm. Yeah. It was more this, uh, there was this main one day I was telling a friend, I don't know who I am anymore. And she said, Oh, congratulations. That's wonderful. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. It's, this is not yeah, good. I have, scary. it was very scary mm-hmm. not knowing who, and, and just to even be able to say it out loud, I don't know who I am anymore. I was like, what am I saying? Yeah. I don't know what wow. I'm saying. I don't know. Uh-huh. And, but just not fitting into my life that I'd worked mm. so hard and loved so mm-hmm. much was, was very scary. Mm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I think that, I mean, that's what, awakening or spiritual emergency or meditation can do because you you see like oh i have these thoughts or have these emotions or have this identity but that doesn't have to be me (laughs) and i don't have to listen to these thoughts these emotions i can choose otherwise and then you oh i can well maybe i want to or or maybe this is healthier this way and like well sometimes you you're at this place of okay i don't want this anymore but I don't know what I do want or what is the correct path. So it's a in-between place of darkness that's very scary. It's very scary. 
Yeah. Yeah. So what happened then? Like, I guess you were well, you were um, doing daycares and I left. You left. Then what? I left everything. <laughs> I le- um, initially, um, initially, I was keeping the daycares and the house, um, but uh, the process of the divorce itself just got very messy and painful. He was in a lot of pain, and so. At one point, I was like, you know what? I don't need these. We were having a conversation about it, and I was very attached to my businesses and to my staff. Mm-hmm. I loved my staff. They were like family to me. I had 30 employees, and I really loved the business. Now, we owned it together, but I did most of the just day-to-day work part of it. And um, we were having a conversation, and my I felt like we were outside and all of a sudden I felt like oil being poured from above the sky. Very biblical. I, oh, which I didn't know at the time because I wasn't really involved with the Bible. And, and I could feel oil being mm. poured all over me and I heard a voice and I looked up and there, I didn't see anything in the sky, but I could feel this oil being poured all over me. Mm. And um, out of my mouth, it's, I said, I don't need these businesses you need these businesses, but I don't. God has prepared another place for me so you can have the house and the businesses. And as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, what did I just say? <laughs> and you said that to who? Sorry. My ex, my oh, your husband. Husband at the time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I had been fighting for these things for nine months, right? <laughs> and so as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, oh, who just said that? Because it wasn't me. I did not say wow. that. But it was said through me as if I had said it. Mm. And, um, but I had so much peace. I had this intense peace. And I just let them go. Mm. So I went and got, um, uh, eventually, I went and got the little tiny apartment in the ghetto for $250 a month. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you probably no couldn't fur- get that I didn't today. Take, yeah, I took very little. Mm. You know, I took very little and no furniture at that time. And I just sat, and my friend gave me an air mattress, and I would go pick up my daughter and make her breakfast and take her to school every morning. And then I would go back to my apartment and sit on my air mattress and meditate and um, uh, until it was time to pick her up for school. And and then uh, picked her up and took her home and made dinner and wait, waited for my ex-husband to come home and then went back to my apartment. Hmm. So I did that for quite a while. Um, and then I met some people. Uh, I was 30, I was 40. I walked the Camino de Santiago, actually, mm-hmm. um, after the divorce was final. The first two things I did was buy a ticket to the Spurs, you know, NBA game. Yeah. I love the Spurs. And I always wanted to go to yeah I always wanted to go to the Spurs NBA <laughs> game, and I bought a ticket to Spain, um, and uh, walked the Camino de Santiago that next spring. What do, what is that you want to? The Camino de Santiago, yeah. it's a pilgrimage to Saint James. Traditionally, mm. oh, it see, was, I'm not Catholic, so I'm oh okay. <laughs> well, you know, non-Catholics all over the world take this walk, this pilgrim mm-hmm. pilgrimage. Um, it originally started out as a Celtic pilgrimage mm. to the sun god. Mm. And they would come from all over Europe and go down across the Pyrenees Mountains 
and then walk all the way to the west coast of Spain to a little town called Finisterre. Hmm. And a lot of them stayed. So on the west, the western state of Galicia in Spain, you can see all of these little Celtic buildings and the piles of stones with the ruins on wow. them. And yeah, it's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. So I walked, uh, it's a 500 mile, well, I walked 500 miles, mm -hmm. backpacked 500 wow. miles on northern Spain. But I had been wanting to do it. That was one of the things, right, mm -hmm. that I wanted to do. It was mm -hmm. just calling me, like, right. I just wanted to throw in a backpack and go to Spain and mm -hmm. walk this thing. And he was like, no wife of mine is ever going <laughs> to go to Spain by herself. And I was like, oh, I just wanted, you know, yeah. take my rosary. Even though I wasn't Catholic, I'm mm -hmm. still very connected to Mary. Mm -hmm. As you can see, I have a big picture of Mary <laughs> in my living room. Mm -hmm. Um uh and just go walk the Camino and pray and just be with God. And um, yeah, so that's what I did after I divorced and then found these people that were going through transition and we were sitting around and uh, said, well, what would you do if you could do anything? Hmm. And we decided that we'd really like to just have a community of people that we could, that mm -hmm. was safe mm -hmm. to talk about these types of things. Mm. And that's how hope was born. Wow. So maybe we talk about yeah. hope in the next thing. Uh, but hope was um, a wonderful community. It lasted for mm -hmm. 10 years. Mm -hmm. So were these people, do they also live, live in Lubbock or? Yeah, they don't live anymore. Okay. Um, um, Edward Wirtz, you know, Edward, mm -hmm. he's in the class, mm -hmm. the spiritual integration. Oh, I didn't know he class. lived in Lubbock. Yeah, he's cool. from Lubbock, okay. and um, uh, so Edward and his wife Kelsey, they were not quite started, had not quite started dating at that time, or maybe they just barely started mm. dating. Um, but yeah, we just got together, and they were. He was twenty seven, and I think she was twenty four, mm -hmm. and I had just turned forty on the Camino, and uh, we were all in transition, not mm. quite. In fig couldn't figure out what was next. Right, that's and beautiful. Y'all found each other in the same, same from the same place and the same yeah. life experience, and trying to figure it out. Trying that's, to figure yeah. it out, yeah. And uh, the three of us, between the three of us, we knew a hundred people that were practicing some different form of spirituality, and we thought, let's just have a potluck mm -hmm. and bring everybody <laughs> together and see what happens. Yeah. And we had a potluck every month for 10 years. Wow. And offered many other community events mm -hmm. for free mm -hmm. over those 10 years, yeah. Mm. So that's what happened afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you do as far as work? I was very fortunate. Um, I was going to take a year off from work. I mean, we had been very successfully financially, uh, successful financially. And uh, so... I thought, well, I'm going to take a year off and not work and just try to figure myself out and figure out what's going on here and sit and meditate. Maybe I'll have an answer then. Um, but that one year turned to two. Um, uh, yeah, I would say we started the community in May of 07. And so, yeah, about a year and a half after the divorce, we started Hope. And then later in 07, um, I'd heard about when I was researching, like, you know, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm, right. Um, because I'm certainly not going to open another childcare center. Mm -hmm. um, so I heard about coaching. I was like, oh my gosh, I've been a coach my whole life. Mm -hmm. For real. Um, I used to 
this is a digression that maybe we can talk about. That's another time too. But I, I used to work in a truck stop that had a bar on one side as a kid. And in Nebraska, the legal working age is 14. And so I would just sit up at the bar and help guys solve their problem. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've heard. I can imagine like bar is a type of a therapy, you know. Yeah. It, it's almost like a confessional, like a Catholic it really confessional. It is. I didn't think about that. <laughs> But uh, when I, so when I heard about coaching, I was like, oh, God, I've been doing that my whole life. And I had started parent coaching at the daycare, really, um, and didn't realize that that's what I was doing. But by gosh, that's certainly what I was doing. Mm. And, um, and so I went to coaching school and started coaching in 07. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I've heard you talk about hope um, and, you, you know, as as we know, Lubbock and West Texas is very conservative, very Christian. Um, and you described hope as a place for all the people who are into traditional, non traditional, yeah, yeah, people. So we collected a lot of different people, um, and then we had the tire kickers. You know, uh, the people who were just curious about what was going on. Mm-hmm. And so, if you were just different and wanted community if you were spiritually different or um i mean we didn't put it out there you know like if you're spiritually different or gender different or because that wasn't even really a conversation when we started mm-hmm. hope in the collective mm-hmm. what, um, what year was that uh 2007 2007 okay yeah mm-hmm. and uh but we attracted those who were different and wanted a safe space mm-hmm. now we did not promote any religion, any religious practice. We didn't say one thing was better than the other. It was a place for people to come and talk about and to share what they knew and how they knew it. Mm. And um, But only that. And so there were some people that were wanting us to uh, like adopt mm-hmm you know, uh, belief or... Convert to my belief. (laughs) Yeah, well, they wanted us to have like, well, what do you believe? Well, we're not not about that. We're Mm -hmm. not here to tell people what to believe. You know, you're here to share about yourself and Mm -hmm. to have, we're going to accept you for whoever you are and whatever you believe is fine. And, you know, there's these basic rules about how we treat each other and that's it. Um, But... It was very successful for 10 years. So what happened? What happened? (laughs) I was finished. And I also had a calling to go uh, do something similar uh, for a national organization, uh, the American Center for the Integration of Spiritually Transformative Experiences, ASSIST, www.acistee.org, if anybody wants Mm -hmm. to take a look at that organization. Um, but, uh, I got invited to be on their board. And so for a while I was on both the board of hope and, mm-hmm. uh, assist, and I could just feel the calling and the mm-hmm. leading. And I knew for two years before it ended that it was time to go. And about a year before I told them like, I'm, I need to be gone in six months. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, like it's time for me to go. Mm-hmm. And I had started bringing in younger people and inviting people to be part of leadership 
um, and, you know, creating space for new people so that it could continue without me. Mm -hmm. But that didn't really work because the people who were left did not want to do the work to keep it going. Yeah. What kind of, uh, is it just, just the work of putting together or what, 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 uh, how were you the glue? Like what, what was the glue that held it together? I mean, seriously, I cleaned my house once a month and invited people to bring food over to my house and get together and hang out. And I sent out the emails. I organized the, uh, you know, at the announcements, we always said, mm-hmm. if you want to do a potluck talk, because mm-hmm. we had a talk, right? Mm-hmm. We always had a speaker or presenter. Mm-hmm. Um, and holistic health, you know, people who are different with their holistic health practices, mm-hmm. because at that time, there was no holistic health center. Mm-hmm. Most people that were doing, providing alternative and complementary healing practices were not doing it in an office. Mm-hmm. A lot of them were doing it in their home, mm-hmm. trying to stay under the radar. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of conversations around that topic as well. Wow. So what was you say stay under the radar? Would the like not would it get shut down? If yeah, they, they were afraid like the uh-huh. you know the medical establishment would shut oh, them wow. down. So anyway, um, we had four holistic health fairs. I organized that. Um, send out emails. Organize the potluck talk mm-hmm. once a month. Sit down with the speaker. Decide. Mm-hmm. The, you know, what did they want to talk right. about? Go over our community guidelines mm-hmm. because a lot of people had experienced the religious wounding, mm-hmm. but I did not want this. I did not want hope to be a place mm-hmm. where people came and bashed mm-hmm. Christianity. There we, there we go. But that was what we're hitting on. I don't, cause I'm like, it's gotta be more than just, you know, the legwork, but it's gotta be based on some guidelines and some openness. Some, that's right. Some type of morality. You have to have some, something that you, can all agree on to abide by. That's right. And so I was the kind of like, and people used to call me the community mother, right? Like the Mm. mommy, (laughs) community mommy, because, you know, if somebody did go against those guidelines, I would Mm -hmm. be the one to have that. I was the executive director, so Mm -hmm. it was my job to, you know, do those things Uh and to have those challenging, difficult conversations. My new daycare. (laughs) 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 Darn, can't get away from it. Can't get away. So (laughs) what were the guidelines? Oh, gosh, you'd have to ask me that right now. <laughs> right. Um, the gist uh, to, of it. We, yeah, no, re, you know, we don't bash people. Mm-hmm. We don't tell people what's right and wrong. We don't tell people what to do. Uh, we come with from a place of respectful curiosity. We ask there for there to be respectful dialogue, which, you know, I had to, you know, referee every once in a while um, because everybody's got an opinion. And uh, but to be able to do that mm-hmm. politely. Um yeah, and, and just to come and share of yourself mm-hmm. and to be present and listen. Mm-hmm. There's a really great video if anybody wants to watch it. Um, you can go look at uh, the Hope Wholeness Center dot com, I think. Uh, is it .com or .org? I don't remember. I think I put .org. Anyway, the Hope Wholeness Center, and scroll down the page, and there's a video of some of our people explaining mm. what hope did for them. Oh, and I think great. that's the greatest way yeah, to explain testimony. hope. Yeah. And uh, so at one point, uh, we had the first year we did the potlucks at Edward's parents' house because they had a giant 
you know, like 10,000 square foot home or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I bought this home, I was like, oh, this is, you know, this kind of open living area concept. There's mm-hmm. enough room for 50 people. We mm-hmm. can squeeze 50 people, <laughs> 50, 60 people in mm-hmm. here. We'll be a little close, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so after a year, I think, at uh, Edward's, parents house his mom had had quite enough mm-hmm. and uh, so then we started meeting here mm-hmm. and we had it here for nine years and it just felt like it was time mm-hmm. and so J&B Coffee always rented us the back room mm-hmm. whenever we wanted to do something bigger mm-hmm. and uh, so we started meeting every other month and doing things there mm-hmm. and so it's kind of went down to that mm-hmm. yeah but we had some amazing conversations yeah. and panel discussions, and mm-hmm. yeah, it was great. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. Um, so, with your coaching, I know you told me that you had an emergency hotline. Yeah. So you found that there is a lot of people having these awakening or spiritual emergency mm-hmm. experiences, and there was a need to be met there. That's right, and. I discovered that through hope, actually. I mean, we've had hundreds of people come through, you know, over the years, hundreds of people. And so many of them were having experiences or suffering from experiences in their challenges. And anytime somebody would want to talk about something weird, they'd say, oh, yeah, you need to go talk to Elizabeth. (laughs) Like, people were like, oh, yeah, okay, I don't want to talk about that. Go talk to Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, and that's how I started the work. And I did do a spiritual emergency hotline and advertise that online. And I got calls from all over the place. Mm, Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, because we live in the West and the materialist, just all that stuff is so under the radar, but it's it's so common. It's under the radar everywhere. I had calls mm. from Romania wow. and Canada and Japan and India, South America. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. And all over the U.S. So, uh, we're... Where do you want to go from here? (laughs) (laughs) How do you wrap up this conversation? Well, I know that you are interested in, you have a dream about establishing a place for people. I do have a dream. I I don't know if I'll ever get to see it realized, but I do hope so. Um, I just leave it up to God and divine timing and whether it's my work or not, you know, it's hopefully somebody's work if it's not mine. But I want to have a a wholeness center. I have the website, you know, Mm -hmm. getting the energy started, Mm -hmm. but I'd love to have a hope wholeness center, not a wellness center, but a wholeness Mm -hmm. center. Um, Because that is what these experiences can open us up to initiate us into finding and experiencing our wholeness. One of the people in hope said, Oh, I see what you're doing here. You guys are loving each other into wholeness. <laughs> so we made a t shirt that says that. So we have the t shirt. How loving, dare you? Loving, yeah, loving one another into wholeness. I got accused of being a cult leader. <laughs> really? Yeah, uh, really seriously. Mm-hmm. But we didn't teach anything. Right. We right. just met each other mm-hmm. where we were. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would love to have a center where. We had hermitages, I have a vision in my mind, Mm -hmm. where we have tiny house hermitages 
where people going through a spiritual process Mm -hmm. and need to take a break from daily life. I was very fortunate that I had the money to take two years off Mm -hmm. of my life. That is not the fate of the majority of people that go through Mm -hmm. these experiences. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I would love to have some hermitages, you know, have a sustainable food production, mm-hmm. um, have a main building where we have practitioners, where we have spiritual integration coaches, we have um, trained uh, mental health professionals that are trained in differential diagnosis between psychosis and spiritual mm-hmm. emergence and emergency, where we have spiritual guidance directors from different faiths that are mm. trained in spiritual emergence and emergency Mm -hmm. that can meet people in their faith Mm -hmm. that want to maintain their faith, Mm. but need to maintain it with a, uh, from a place of non-fear and non-judgment. So they have someone that they can talk about this from their faith perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I want a big kitchen. I want a big commercial kitchen Mm -hmm. and, um, do things for the community, like teaching them how to preserve food and, you know, have a big meeting space mm-hmm. uh, where we can meet together, like the old kind of hope potluck yeah, style meetings yeah. again, because they were just so beneficial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I think I think I'm ready vision. for that. <laughs> yeah, that's a beautiful vision. I mean, that's very you know that's what Jesus did. You know, that's what the communion. You know, and mm-hmm. that's what brings people together. That's throughout the ages. Yeah. Um, you know, that's something we can all relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that, that openness and that uh, inter-religious, is, that's such a beautiful vision. And, um, you know, I think you mentioned that, yeah, the, in, the, in the West or, or just society today, we don't allow space and time and slowness for people to have experiences and be able to integrate and that's right. uh, also be taken care of. That's um, right. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Taken care of in a non-religious um, way where their religion can, if if religion is important to them, that we can find a spiritual guidance director, mm-hmm. you know, where that can right. be integrated. Because, it's not like we'll take care of you if you convert to our religion. <laughs> yeah, no, no, not that. Yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, and so many ashrams are, you know, if you, you have to go to India to find an ashram, mm-hmm. but that's too far outside of so many people's comfort zone right. religiously. Mm-hmm. Um, when I worked for Assist, we worked with experiencers from all faiths and no faith at all, because these experiences are not respecters of religion, of age, mm-hmm. of belief, of money, of education, nothing. People, humans across the board have these mm-hmm. experiences. Right. Yeah, yeah. It, it's so funny your your vision because I've I've heard and seen a lot of spiritual people talk have the same sort of vision of a community and a, like these healing and educational centers. Um, it's just so interesting. Um, I, I think I think it's. They're they're gonna they're gonna happen at some point. <laughs> they are. It's a, and, it seems to be in the collective. And there's certain inherent challenges. Right. You know, there are challenges in the community. You know, because people are people everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, um, but there's challenges, and you have to have guidelines. Like, mm-hmm. can everybody come and 
rent a hermitage, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or work the land, you right. know, and, and trade time for it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Can you, who's going to be allowed and who's mm-hmm. not going to be allowed? I've been looking at this for a long time. Yeah. And um, how you do something to where you're providing mm-hmm. a service, but you're not a mental health facility. Yeah. Yeah. You're getting into uh, my idea for a, a political philosophy episode. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> I probably need to brush up. It's been a while since I've really thought about that deeply um but it's it's something you can't get away from you know people relationships are politics and that's right you know structure and so it's something you have to address and figure out and they're you know there's always limits you have to have safety so that's right that, that's and the leadership is has to be responsible for maintaining that right yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah well this is this has been great is there uh Anything you want to add or? Gosh, no. (laughs) Touched on so much. Thank you. I've loved this so much. Yeah, I have too. Uh, Really enjoyed it. We'll have to have more episodes. Maybe we can talk about uh, Hawkins or other stuff. Yeah, I'd love to. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.